Oh, hello, I'm Roger Bisbee and welcome to our podcast number eight. I'm joined here on the bench under the flight path at Gatwick Airport by Robin Clevett. And we're going to talk about, well, let, let's, let's put it this way. In previous podcasts, we've talked about the good things in life, probably. Becoming self-employed, getting started. How pricing, to get paid. Number eight, it's time to talk disasters. So if you're actually listening to this as a podcast, so you've come through iTunes or one of the other deliverers of podcasts, you can comment on the YouTube channel. So come over to Skill Builder, check us out on the YouTube channel, and you can see us in action there, albeit it's quite a horror story normally. Well, I'm all right, it's Roger, but um, check us out on Skill Builder, and you can leave your comments there. I put up with a lot from you, don't I? I know. Do you know what? When I met you, you were nothing. Well, I was a lot younger. I was 20 years ago, mate. <laughs> yeah, OK, so where did it go wrong? Shall I kick off? Oh, uh, why don't you kick off? Well, as a plumber, probably almost every day is a potential disaster, <laughs> you know? It's one of those jobs, isn't it? Every plumber I know, everyone says, oh, they call him leaky or something. Yeah. You know, like, we all get leaks, you yeah. know? Any plumber who tells you they don't get leaks doesn't do plumbing. I remember going to a block of flats. Now, I'm going to talk about insurance, public liability insurance yep. in a minute, but my public liability insurance covers me for up to five stories, okay. uh, five dwellings. Now, that's important because if you are on the top floor of a block of 30 flats, something goes badly wrong, that water's only going to go one way down, down, exactly. down, down, down. So you could end up with a few million, million quid's yeah. worth of, of damage. So this particular block of flats, they wanted a washing machine fitted. So I went in there, just took the bare minimum up there, as you do, you know, small tool bag. Where's the stopcock? Turn the stopcock off. And just as I touched it, and honestly, I'm going to tell you, I did no more than touch it. Just about turned it, and the thing blew off oh, completely. No. It was a soldered joint, which is unusual. A lot of them are compression joints, but this was soldered in to the end of the pipe by a net. Mm. It couldn't have been a quarter mm. of an inch of, of It was waiting pipe. for that touch. It, it was, was just waiting. waiting. It had been sitting there for 10 years. Bang, it yeah. went. So therefore, that's the leak on the live side, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I can do nothing about it. Well, actually, I could. What I should have done is just got my hammer, flattened the pipe out, yeah. and, and dealt with it later. But I went, no, I went running downstairs, got my turnkey out, turned the stopcock off. Now, the only trouble is that in the street outside, for this block of flats, all these stopcocks. No way. All the way along in a row. Which one oh my God. serves that flat? I've got no idea. I turned the lot off, every single flat, every single... So, of course, then I've got people jumping out there. Oh, the water's off. You turn the water off. Oh, yeah. I stopped it pouring down, but by the time I stopped it pouring down, it had already been through maybe three flats. Yeah, blood. And I didn't know because I couldn't get into them. People yeah, at work. right, yeah, yeah. So then I've got to put a card in everybody's door saying, I'm the plumber who's just flooded your house. Oh, no. And just wait for them to come home and start ringing me up for the oh, insurance card. So it wasn't my fault really was it i mean i just went in there so well you inherited a problem didn't you which turned I, into I your did. problem and your disaster so i got in touch with an insurance company so the next thing i get from the the, the freeholder the guy who holds a lease for all these flats you know he said there was nothing wrong with it before you entered the premises no. you know it was working perfectly well so and so he's not event... going to take your opinion on it now. well anyway, exactly cause... so you know he said so it's your fault so you know I went, hang on a minute. So I got in touch with a consultant engineer friend of mine, mm. photographed the thing, showed him everything, mm. got him to do a report. Mm. And I said, no way, I'm not standing up for this one, you know. Yeah. 
But the important thing is, what I learnt then was a very, very important lesson. I've got public liability insurance. First thing is you don't admit liability mm. ever because mm. even though you might be friendly with a person, you might say, look, it's completely my fault. Mm. Under the terms of your insurance, you can't do that. You've, mm. got to, you've got to say, I'm putting this in the hands of my insurance company mm. and you've got to deal with them and you know they're mm. sorted out. And I can't say any more about it at this particular stage. Now, the other thing I learned at that time, which is interesting, the householder's insurance takes precedence. Right. Now that's very, very important for anybody out there who's got public liability insurance, who's working in other people's homes. I'll give you another scenario. You've done a loft conversion. You haven't gone for a full tin lid. You've just put tarpaulins over the top. You know, nice day. You've gone home, you've you put the sheets back over the roof, tied them down, and then that night there's a big storm that blows up, blows the sheets up, rain gets in, floods the house. What do you do? What do I do? Customers screaming. Come on, they're on the phone. Well, I mean, I can tell you what I would have done years ago, which is before I had knowledge of what happened. So nowadays, I would, as I said before in previous podcasts, I manage people's expectations. I say, we can do your loft with a tin roof, and this will mean it will cost you more money, but the chance of anything going badly wrong because of weather and things outside of our control are a lot less. If they say, no, we don't want to go for a tin roof, I almost get them to admit that they don't mind a bit of water coming in because anyone who's done loft conversions are really tricky to get the sheets to completely hold up especially like the scenario you said you get a big storm and the rain and all the rest of it so I think that that's um, yeah that's a major issue and and if you get the water coming in um, straight away the, it's your it's you're the person who's created that problem even though the client it's their house and you're trying to fix it for them they've chosen for you to do it like that it still comes back on you and it looks bad on you and it's the way you handle that and like you talk about the insurance well I tried to avoid talking to insurance companies as much as possible and deal with things like that myself so it might be I've got to replace a few ceilings decorate a bedroom and all the rest of it which is awful really because I took the job on to deliver them what they wanted on the assumption that they would take the risk any risk but they don't you see unless you make that clear to people in the outset you're the one who inherits the risk their insurance takes precedent right if, if you have any kind of problem in a house, if you're doing a job in somebody's house, if, if you put a nail for a pipe, whatever you do in that house, it, it, you know, storm blows up, or you've just taken a wall out uh, and you've put some OSB up and they have a burglary that night, right, yeah. Yeah? it's not your problem. It's not your problem. Right. This is the first thing you've got to learn. Then they say, why should we contact our insurance company? We got burgled because you didn't make it secure. Yeah, or, then flooded, you're in an argument. or flooded because you didn't put the tarpaulins down enough. And they owe you money and you can't well, get into an argument but the with point people. Is, the point is that even before you, you talk about managing expectations, really speaking, you must say to them, you need to be insured, you need to notify your insurance yep, company you haven't building done, work yep. done, and therefore your insurance company will take a view on it. Yep. They may stipulate certain things, they yep. may say, now, we just had, you know, this weekend, Notre Dame. Yep. You know, I was going to actually say and, that. Actually. You know, there is a bit of a history of builders burning buildings yeah. down just when they're reaching the final stages yeah. of it. It happens, you know, I've had a couple of near misses with a fire. In fact, my grandfather, uh, his house was burnt down by a painter decorator. What, stripping paint? Yeah, just he was using the blow lamp on the thing and you know what it's like, it can catch yeah. and it can be hours and hours and hours before that's yeah. spoiled and, and then it starts. And Yeah, so 
so the whole house burnt down. Well, that's a, that, that particular issue really scares the life out of me and to the point where I do all of our work now, we avoid as much flame as possible. So all yeah. the flat roofing we do is all with hot air. So it's yeah. a welded system yeah. um, for the simple reason it just worries the life out of me. Let's take Notre Dame and, and what a terrible, terrible, terrible shame that was when I saw that beautiful timber spire that ancient spire burning yeah. and it going over it was kind of like heartbreaking for me it was to a point but at the same time i thought to myself i could get out there i could get out there no i'd seriously go out there if i could go there and work for free yeah. to actually assist with the reconstruction of the timber work You've maybe i've got 10 some years mate You've maybe i've got some years. skills there to uh, to offer but but disasters come in all shapes if they you're do going, if you go to france oh yeah more. that'd be good wouldn't it a siesta yeah. oh that's Spain. Disasters come in all shapes and sizes, Roger. I mean, yeah. I, what I consider to be a disaster would be, for example, I, well, I was 27 years old. This was in 1997. I had a big job on in uh, Roehampton in London, big extension. And before I went, I got it all organised. had the brickies there, had my chippy subcontractor. To, uh, the last job I asked him to do before I leave was make all the dummy frames up for the windows, mm. gave them a list, a schedule of the window sizes and the dummy frame sizes. You, you know where this is going now, don't Go you? On. And when I got back and the extension was built ready for the roof, I'd had a three week holiday in California, it was fantastic. Got back and I thought, right, I can go and do this roof. And it all looked pucker, the brickies had finished. Uh, it was my father-in-law who had built it, so it was perfect, you know. And I came inside, looked around, thought, this is great. And I thought, why is that lintel so big over that window there, over the kitchen window? We had a lintel with a bearing of about 600 mil either side. And I'd specified the, the, the lintels, and I always allow 150 either end, standard sort of stuff. And I looked and I thought, oh, well, I, I don't know. Anyway, the windows arrived that week as well. I'd got the roof on, the windows arrived. And when we went to get the kitchen window, I measured it and it was um, 2800, that's what size it should have been and that's the size it was delivered, 2800 and the opening was 2080. Oh, so blimey. All the guy did was looked at the yeah. list and he'd read it as 2080, not 2800, a simple mistake, which for me at that stage in my career was an absolute disaster. I've been on holiday, you know, self-employed, you don't earn any money when you're on holiday, you come back and one of these beautiful aluminium windows with a hardwood frame, which was all made, so it was probably 1500 quid of a window. And the opening was in the kitchen looking out of the garden. So not only it was face brickwork on the outside, beautiful reveals, red brick arch over the top on a special lintel with pistol bricks. It was like all of these things. I was like, oh my God. But I just had an absolutely wonderful client there. And when I came clean and I said, you know, it could have been a disaster to them. I said, look, this is what's happened. Simple error, simple mistake. What would you like me to do? I can adjust all of the brickwork. I can take it all down, shore the roof up. He was such a nice guy, the client. He said to me, well, it is a human error and we're all human and all the rest of it. He said, well, we just need to get a window that's the right size. I can live with the opening. It was a bit big anyway. It was, we can get more wall units on you're the kitchen lucky. now. You're jammy. <laughs> no, but it was just the fact that I came clean, I suppose. And maybe there's a message there about if you, if you do see a job going disastrously, disastrously wrong before the clients, you've got to come clean and say, I've underpriced this drastically. I can't deliver it the, the quality I want. Talk to them when you can sort of thing. And I was lucky in that respect. Yeah, but, you, you work with some very even, reasonable people. He even offered to pay half towards the window because I'd offered yeah. to cover the cost of the window he said look i'll pay half towards it and that was just a real beautiful thing to happen so um yeah i mean that's a that is a disaster and to me that was a major disaster it made me feel terribly upset and it made me feel i was shaking you know I was sort what's of the like, moral of that story moral of the story is write the, the numbers bigger 
instead of me writing a little list I'll make it a bit more legible maybe it was my writing which wasn't legible enough and I didn't go back to the chippy and shout and scream at him because you know I wasn't even there to check it so it was I my... think the moral of that story is don't go on three week holidays to California you well, deserve everything you get mate I think <laughs> it was pre-children so it was um, <laughs> oh. a great opportunity to go driving around and you know what well, that was an interesting thing driving around I'm going off tangent but it's quite interesting driving around then no sat nav no mobile phone what no, an amazing no. trip yeah yeah but so going back to disasters looking yeah. at Notre Dame it's absolutely awful is the builder the guy there who's going to be responsible for that well is it, it the insurance it, company okay first of all you've got to put a regime in place yeah yeah now you know, we've had enough of these. We've had it with the, the Macintosh Art School in Glasgow, you know, the, the, the Windsor, Windsor Chapel. Castle. There's all these things. So, so at some point, people have to say, right, what have you got in the way of fire precautions? What are you doing? A few smoke alarms might help. Come on, you know, seriously, anything, you know. There's loads and loads of things mm. you can do, mm. which obviously they'd be thinking about now for next time. Yeah. But I think we can all learn from that. I've got a very strict policy on my use of a blow lamp as a plumber. I'm supposed to stay in the building for half an hour after yeah. using the blow lamp yeah. to observe it. So I say to people, right, well, I've done the little job. Now I've fixed your leak and I've got to spend another half hour drinking tea and watching that just to make sure yeah. the house doesn't catch fire. Yeah. I like it. So, you know, that's that's a fact. So they've got to pay me for that time. But that's the, the stipulation of the insurance policy, as is a fire extinguisher on the job, not yeah. sitting in my van, yeah. you know, I must say, and all those kind of things. But, you know, I've been I've been lucky, touch wood in that respect. But as I say, this this the important principle that all tradesmen ought to, to know is that the householder has to have their insurance in place. So your public liability insurance will be expecting them to be insured against fire, flood, blah, 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 you know, yep. burglary and all the rest of it. Now, if for some reason their insurance company thinks you've been negligent, and yep. there's a the difference between negligence and unlucky... Or you accidental, know, or exactly that. You know, if you're if you're just if you just had an accident, or the storm's blown up and you can foresee it, and it blew the tarpaulins off, not your fault. So their insurance company should pay up, and if they don't pay up, it's up to them to argue with your public liability insurance company, not for you. So at that point, as unfortunate as it is, because you want to help the customer out, you may even be friends with the customer, you've got to say, honestly, I'd love to help, but I can't do anything in this situation. It's between your insurance company and their insurance company. But it's absolutely vital that when you go to do that work, they understand that it's their insurance company that is going to pay. Mm. Yeah? Because so far, again, touch wood, I've never had to pay out my public liability insurance mm. because... Mm. In most cases, it's been proved that, you know, it's covered under the mm. normal thing. I will just say one more, funnily enough. I didn't pay, I didn't get a claim on a public liability insurance, but in this case, I was doing an oil boiler in a farmhouse. They hadn't had central heating before, so I fitted the central heating in the house. Farmer, you know, used to a hard life. Yeah. And the first time they're ever going to have this, the, 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 the wife is looking forward to it. So I fitted the oil boiler, got a new oil tank outside, which I also installed, that's all ready. I'm just piping up the oil to the boiler, and I need a fire valve. I haven't got the fire valve that you're supposed to have, you know, obviously to cut the oil supply off mm. if there's a fire. So down to the merchants to get the fire valve. While I was down at the merchants, I met another plumber mate of mine. He said, couldn't come and give me a lift up with a boiler, could you, a wall-hung boiler? So I said, yeah, okay, I'll come around that way, you know, and it was a few miles out of my way, but I, I went around, helped him out had a cup of tea with him piece of cake all the rest of it it was probably two hours before i got back to the farmhouse walked in the back door of the farmhouse and as i walked in the back door into the kitchen my foot went into a squelch of heating oil oh no the whole of the kitchen 
was flooded in heating oil. Oh no. Now, I'd installed the tank. The tank was empty. Nothing was going on there. This farmer in his haste, he'd gone, right, the tank's full. Let's get the oil ordered. The guy had come round, delivered the oil. The valves were turned off on the oil tank, yeah. but he turned them on to check the gauge and he left them on. My pipe was through to the kitchen, sitting there without the yeah. fire valve on, open-ended. That tank was emptying for two hours into that kitchen, filling it up with oil. At that point, who do I blame? Do I blame the tanker driver? Mm. He's running a mile. Did you know he was coming? No. Oh, well, then there's... Nothing about... Yeah, but you say that. Oh, yeah, well, there you are, you see. Problem for me is that that was owned by the Surrey County Council, that house, that farmer's, he's yeah. a tenant farmer. Mm. They were the client, really. They were putting it in. And I had a very, very good contract with them. I had years of work from them. And I thought, what do I do in this situation, you know? Mm. And if I'd argued with the householder and everything else, and it was it was his fault and it wasn't, and it was a tanker drive's fault and it wasn't, and it was my fault, ultimately, because I didn't pinch the end of that pipe off. Mm. Or cap it or off, cap it off mm. in some way. And as I walked out, I thought about it, and I thought, oh, should I cap that off? Because it's almost an unwritten law. You don't leave open pipes yeah. like that. And I said to him, look, I'm going to do my best to clean this. It stank, honestly. You would not have lived in it. You would have moved mm. out. Anyway, I cleared the oil up, spent about two or three days in there scrubbing and rubbing, using all kinds of potions and lotions mm. and try and get... But it still smelt of heating oil mm. as soon as you walked in there. So I said to the farmer, what do you want to do? What, what are we going to do about this? And he said to me, well, you know, there's a bit of compensation. And I said, well, you know, a few years ago. And I said, what do you think about 300 quid? And he went, yeah, yeah, that's all right. 300 quid. That's still a lot of money for you to find then. I was away with it, mate. I was happy. I would have paid him five, actually. And I thought, just to walk away from it, give him 300 quid, the guy's going to get used to it. I mean, quite honestly, his his house smelled of cow manure anyway. So it was only a different smell. It's the best of two evils, (laughs) yeah. So can I tell you about my earliest disaster? I was an um, apprentice chippy. I was doing a loft conversion because it was always loft conversions I was doing. And um, I used to work seven days a week. Um, because I'd earn, earn an extra bit of money and it was a Sunday afternoon and I was putting it was like a little terraced house in South London and we put steel at the front steel at the back and we were hanging joists in between the steel so I was on my own so it was a matter of trying to cobble timbers up through the loft hatch nail the hangers on before the days of positive placement nailers and all that yeah. nail the hangers on and it was all lagging and I had to set the joists between the existing joists just off of the lava and plaster ceiling yeah, you know yeah. to keep the headroom and all the rest of it the norm and I was working away and I'd fix one end and I'd gone to the other end and I was getting hold of the hanger trying to get a nail into it and it, it just literally slid down and touched the insulation I didn't think anything more of it until I saw this beautiful beautiful haze of dust and light all coming through it was just like this like angels are rising up from the insulation and I was like what's going on here and what had happened was the old lava and plaster ceiling as we were working on it for the previous week just walking across the joists and I had no experience of how fragile these things were and it had gone this little tiny like it's like a domino uh, Mm. uh, that little knock on that laugh Mm. there it just let everything go and i didn't even hear it because there was a big double bed under step underneath and it just gone straight down in one on the bed on the bed but so i thought where's this light coming from so i climbed down through the loft hatch it's a sunday afternoon there was no one in the house barely i couldn't open the bedroom door because of the plaster all over the floor sort of gently started pushing it open all of this dust is bellowing out of the open fanlight window Literally, it was just like you've never seen sort of devastation like it. You know that thick, 
that yeah, yeah, sure. silty Well, we've London all taken a few dust. ceilings down, haven't and we? And I was like, oh, well, I couldn't believe it. And I did exactly the same thing. I just started bagging and clearing and vacuuming. And I must have spent about two or three hours there clearing up. And then, But for me, at the time, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I did it. It was a Sunday. It was my responsibility. Someone else wouldn't have done it. My boss is going to be unhappy with me. The client's going to go mad. I'm going to lose my job. It was a disaster. It was kind of like... And that gave me a feeling, I suppose, from an early age of being very risk-averse and very wary about... So what? Tell us. Did your boss sack you? He didn't, but he made me obviously tack it all and pay not pay for the plastering. But I think he was... He, he did... He was a good guy. He was a good guy, but equally, you know... Oh, harsh, I say. Customer? They were okay. I think that's interesting because obviously, you know, people's reaction to the problem is one thing, you know. Like they say, it's not what happens to you in life, it's how you react to it, yeah. you know, how you deal with it. So so that's how they dealt with it. But I would have said, and I've had exactly the same problem. In fact, we, we had a ceiling let go once, came straight down through the stairwell, nearly killed the baby in the, oh, in the pram. The, the baby was in the pram and the mother picked it up because it was crying. Five minutes later, the whole ceiling came down through the thing. It would have done, you know horrendous so what i learned from that is you always prop lava and plaster ceilings mm. when you're doing loft conversion mm. so in other words mm. scaffold ball yeah. through great tip couple of acros in there great because tip. if they start flexing they will go they yeah will because those go. old ceiling joists are only yeah. designed for ceiling load yeah. and not foot traffic and when you decide to work up there and load yeah. them out but with it's stuff. the nature of lava and plaster as well isn't it the yeah. way that it's yeah. it's, it's letting go yeah. And, and funnily enough, I've got a really good tip for that. I'm going to do it as a, as a skill builder video. Go in the loft, vacuum the whole loft out, get rid of all the loft insulation. It's very important that you do a really good vacuuming job of the loft. Yep. Dilute PVA over the whole lot. When it bonds it all back together, yeah, does just it? Wash it, wash it in there, right, just a great chuck tip. it in with a bucket and say to the, to, say to the customer, look, it's a little extra we're going to do because those ceilings are old, they will let go at some point. And by doing that, you just flood it with wet, you know, yeah, what, five, like 50-50? I go even five to one yeah. because you just get soaked into all that lava yeah. and honestly it knits it up. You would not believe how well it works. So, oh, that's a good so, tip. Yeah. So it's one of those things. If anybody's got a, a ceiling which is, they, think, they see a few cracks in it think, I'm not sure whether mm. that's there. That's one way of, of, you know, it's not as good as overboarding it, but it certainly does help. But even then, I'd still prop it. Yeah, yeah. Stop any well, up there until you get yeah. those joists in, especially a fat bloke. I know. I mean, we're in, I mean, in the construction industry, it's the, one of the most dangerous industries there is in the world. In fact, more people die in construction than in any other industry. Um, it's even more dangerous than jobs like firefighters. Yeah. This is a fact, you can Google it. Yeah. It's more dangerous than firefighters. And that's why we have to be so careful. And going back to your comments about the heat on sites, the rules are, I think it's at least an hour now before the last, before you're knocking off, it's an hour for any heat. Yeah. And Naked Flame, you've got to have a license and a certificate and you've got to notify when you've been doing it and what you've been doing. So you've got to keep a record of that. So from learnt mistakes, I think that the industry is going in the right direction from a health and safety point of view and a disaster risk management point of view anyway. Do you know what? That's interesting because when you're talking about that hour, I haven't checked my public liability insurance. I mean, I renew the premium every year. Yeah. They send me a little thing, I shove it in the drawer, but I haven't actually read up to right. see what changes have been made on that insurance policy over the years. So that would be something for me to 
to, to, look, to at. look at straight away. You yeah, know, it's probably an interesting say, point. They probably say you're over 65. We wouldn't even insure you. Mm. You can't. You can't work anymore or something. But and, <laughs> and although um, I, th- I think public liability is a big um, connection to disasters in in building and all yeah. the rest of it. And in, indeed, in the last podcast, podcast number seven, there was a comment about we we talked about how to find a good builder, and someone came back to us and said, "Oh, you need to check if they've got public liability." And I did answer that comment to say, "Well, that's that's a good point, but actually, it's the easiest." In insurance money can buy you can phone up it's cheap they are the matrix and i've worked in the insurance industry in the construction industry for several years i know quite a lot about it and it's a simple matrix and if you you know there's no real due diligence involved at the level of the domestic builder there's no real due diligence involved Mm. Uh, from a brokerage point of view so it's not a very good qualification it's important well, that they can table it that they can say i am insured the thing that surprised me is that in all the years that i've been at work nobody's ever asked me for it mm. nobody's you know i've taken on quite big jobs in people's houses yeah. and at no point have they said to me have you got public liability insurance can we see the certificate mm. or anything like mm. that they've just assumed mm that you have it of course when it goes wrong mm. that's the point where you think you know what is their insurance mm. so for a householder listening to this good idea to ask your builder about their insurance good idea to ask your insurance yeah about notification how that works so so i think that's for everybody because let's face it you know if it happens like my grandfather where your house is burnt down yeah. and you find the painter and decorator isn't insured yeah and your insurance company isn't yeah. too happy then you're left with no house basically and i think it's really impressive if you're a small trader or a builder or even a construction firm when you put in your tender if it's a tender they'll ask you for it anyway but if it's an estimate to a private client it looks really good that you put that in and also you put here's a copy of our public liability insurance because not a lot of other people might have done that and that might just make them feel that you're a little bit more responsible for example so the groundworks company that helped me um here doing all of our yeah, yeah. all of our complex uh, piling and everything else when they gave me their documentation i had risk assessments galore for every single exercise they did from mixing cement to putting in rebar and it was a standard thing they put their insurance was in there and it was it was beautifully presented and i thought now this is a professional firm one of the things that i because i've been involved in quite a lot of underground water main replacements and all kinds of things like that drains and so on is when you start digging down you could chop through somebody's fiber optics oh yeah and bring a whole blooming office block down you know and, and cost an absolute fortune in lost lost revenue lost work so when you start digging around in the street the, the public liability mm. insurance goes way up from mm. what it used to be I mean I used to get away with a million pound cover on it I don't think now that they would entertain anything less than five million yeah quid you know but again the stipulations I've got is that I mustn't work in buildings over you know five minutes I mustn't do this I mustn't do that so they are tightening that bit by bit but disasters as I say we you know we really love to hear about your disasters or experiences if you're a client (laughs) I think sometimes by sharing experiences about things that go wrong you can learn something or you can think oh I'm in I'm in this situation it's going that way what do I do about it and um, yeah that's the important thing is it if you hear of other people's disasters at some point 
you're going to think you're going to be in a similar situation go, oh remember what that bloke said about this or what happened yeah. to him yeah. and hopefully you avoid it yeah. and, and as I said the Notre Dame thing is a case in point because the next person's having a cathedral restored is going to go oh do you know what what's the fire policy like yeah you know, or can we have a sprinkler system fitted for the construction work or yeah, yeah. you know so managing risk and also I mean let's let's take Crossrail for example which is an ongoing oh. disaster in my in my opinion is it why it's, it's an ongoing disaster from the sense that it's going to be I don't know three times over budget and yeah. twice over time and and I know that they say in construction that all jobs go way over budget and way over time yeah. and there's lots of reasons for that which is a disaster to me because I think that you can you know you should be able to set your stall out and get it somewhere near where you no, want to end I don't know but that's a disaster no I don't think so why? I think I think what they've done in, in Crossroad, well, it's a massive, massive project. You imagine you're going under London, you know? I mean, at some point they were they were that close to the, the tube line, you know, they yeah, were yeah. Uh, that machine and they can they can manoeuvre that within millimetres. Okay, so they yeah? can do that but yet they can't run it on time and on budget. Well no, because because you know, that is somebody, they... Robin, that is somebody said, now you've done a job, right? You've they, Nobody's ever done Crossrail before, right? So best will in the world, people are sitting down. Now, I've got to say so this. So what gave them the right to put a budget against it? What well, gave them the right you, because, if they didn't know because, what they were doing? Because most, if you look at Isambard Kingdom Brunel, you look at all those jobs, the Rotherhive Tunnel, all of them, you know, a hundred and odd men died in the mm. Rotherhive Tunnel. Mm. These jobs do run over. They are disastrous. Things do fall down. Mm. And that is the nature of construction. That's been going on for thousands of years mm. like that, you know, that, that people, you know, and if you look at the building of the stately homes in Britain, a lot of those homes that people built, multi, multi-millionaires, bankrupted them. Yeah. They actually never lived to see the house complete or never lived in it because they'd lost all their fortune because yeah. of a vanity project or whatever. Yeah. So y- you can look at anything you like, Taj Mahal, pyramids, they all ran over, they all, you know. Were you around when they well, were doing the pyramids? slave labour they used there and they still they still didn't manage to make any money on the pyramids. But but no, honestly, I think I think Crossrail is an absolute fantastic achievement. I'd Technically a fantastic achievement. Yeah. The fact it's gone over budget and over time, I don't think is wrong or unusual. Mm. I think given what they were up against and mm. given the amount of, the level of engineering that's gone in there and, and management. No, I, I, I'm not taking away from oh, the technology I, and the actual goal or the end game. I think we'll be so proud of it. But that. it's like everything, even the O2, um, the Millennium Dome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was another financial disaster. I know it's a fantastic venue now to go well, to. I, I think it was a bit of a white elephant. M- myself, I think the Millennium Dome was. It's a tent, you know. I don't think it was ever... Right, so the first thing about the Millennium Dome is they took that piece of land on contaminated, mm. massively contaminated, an old gas works. They had to dig down and remove all that and they were almost suckered into it. You know, the people who mm. bought that plot to do that were just mugs because the, the liability that they took on in cleaning that plot before they could even use it was enormous. So look across the water to the Olympics. The great thing about the Olympics, okay, that may have run a little bit over time, I don't know, but but they, they managed to open it on time and everyone would say, we'll never do it, it'd be rubbish, we'd be terrible, you know, and actually it was a complete triumph. Nobody died. Yeah. Nobody died. Now, when people talk about us and they, they compare our output to the rest of Europe and they say, oh, Britain's the least productive mm. country in Europe. We have the most onerous and stringent health and safety rules of anybody. Yeah. And when you look at them, when you look at something like Crossrail and you look at those guys going into those tunnels, girl, guys and girls, going into those tunnels and the amount of health and safety they have to go through just to go in there and yeah. do that job and the, and the kit they have to wear. Yeah, well, I day. think that's absolutely commendable. <coughs> and, um, it I, is, I but think... it also costs money 
and slows the I know, job I know, but down. My, so my, therefore, that's the job. Yeah. That's the price you pay. I, yeah? I'm probably looking at it from a bit of a simplistic point of view in terms of if someone gets a contract to do something like that and they put their hand on their heart, they say, we'll deliver this in 24 months and it's going to cost £16 billion. Pounds. And then you're telling me, um, quite rightly, that it's amazing what they do. The technology, the tunnels, and they're getting—they're weaving in and out, in and out of foundations yeah, yeah. and yeah. pilings and and all the rest of it, and avoiding everything. And I do think that's commendable. But why did they not think it was good? Why did they think it was only going to cost X amount of money and take this long? I mean, do they just pick a figure out of the sky? Yeah. And t- why don't they just <coughs> say it's going to take ten years and cost a hundred billion well, and deliver it in five for fifty? You know, manage expectations. It's what I'm all about. The whole basis upon which these things are done is is flawed anyway. I worked for the Surrey County Council and I was contracting and she was saying, oh, we want the best estimate. And nobody talked about best value then. You know, no. they were all cheapest, cheapest, cheapest. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of the time people would take jobs on, they could possibly do for that money. But all they were hoping to do is get their... Extras. Their, well, Variations. Yeah, but also get their snout in the trough and then they could start milking it, you know, along mm. the way. So, yeah, so I think it's the nature of the game. OK, you go in on a quote. Everybody that's ever been involved in, in any kind of civil engineering project, you know, these are big, big jobs, aren't they? Mm. It's going to know that it, mm. it's best guess. That's all it is. It's a finger in the wind. You can't be that good. You've done a few loft conversions, so if you go into price of loft conversions, you've got all that experience to look at. If, you, if I said to you, dig a tunnel under London, You'd be sitting there for a few few years talking to a few experts before you got anywhere near yeah, it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I'd sooner be asked to do a garden bridge because you can get paid millions and for not actually nothing. not actually deliver anything. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to get political or anything like that. I'm really not a politicalised person. Is that a word, politicalised? Yeah, yeah. Is you it? can be anything you like. It is now. It's, it's a Robin Clevett word. But um, no, I, I, I just think the disasters need to be avoided, whether they are financial, whether they are... God forbid someone gets injured, whether and, and so however it whatever it takes to try and avoid those disasters, I think people need to just take a step back sometimes and think, what are the risks? Do a risk assessment, even if it's one in your head. And especially when you're telling people to do stuff. Don't tell anyone to do something which is dangerous or you don't know how dangerous it is. If mankind is gonna progress, if society's gonna move forward, we have to take on the unknown. We have to be brave. I mean, we look at people like Sir Peter Bazalgette with the London sewers, you know, that whole thing, and then the building of a London underground, but the way they did that, you know, which a lot of it mm. was hand dug, you mm. know. Oh, yeah. These are tremendously ambitious projects, you know. They didn't get them right first time. There were disasters along the way, things collapsed, things things didn't work you know we've had that with software in the nhs where they've they've spent millions and millions of pounds on a bit of computer software that didn't work Mm. you know abandon it in the end i think that i'm not saying that's a good thing but i'm saying that all the time you're going out into the unknown aren't you and and you know there's if you're going to say let's try and manage expectations let's try and manage risk let's not try not to go over budget over time we get nothing done We, we people have to be brave enough to to get to the other end of it and think, do you know what we got out of this? What we got out of this was was amazing. It was worth mm. it. And, and Crossrail and the new London sewer that they're doing, you know, mm. another fantastic mm. job. That's and a load of crap though, the sewer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's not forget, Robin, that, you know, you're doing a building project here. Is that gonna come in on budget? Um, I didn't have a budget, really. Ah, there you are. You let oh, yourself off. Come on. So, um, no, when I say I didn't have a budget, obviously I had round numbers for everything. And um, my way of going about it is um, piecemeal, tr- try to go through the stages and try to do it 
to the best of my ability. It might be taking a bit of time for me to deliver this particular house for me, for myself, but I need to go and earn some money as well. So I'm sort of managing my own risk, not borrowing too much money and you know earning a bit and doing a bit sort of thing. The same as most of us guys and girls out there who are trying to make our houses nice, you know? People will tell you it takes longer than you thought. I mean, I wouldn't call those disasters. I would call that just part of life. You know, yeah. you say to people, guess what? It took longer than we thought it was gonna take and it cost more money. Hey, that's building for you, you know? Yeah. But a builder I know, and this many, I was actually in the house, funnily enough, the day before it fell down. And you, you think oh houses, houses don't fall down. This house fell down almost on the stroke of midnight. People thought it was a bomb going off. The guys have been in there, they've taken every internal wall out. So there was just yeah. the outside. The whole building was racking and it was built of sandstone. It wasn't built of bricks or anything. So yeah. it was like a pile of yeah. marbles. Then they're hacking the rendering off. The whole thing just collapsed in one go on the stroke of midnight, south of Odin Rygate, people can look it up. And uh, as I say, I was in there talking to the guys the previous no day, going to build as friends of mine. And uh, yeah, and, and that guy's insurance, funnily enough, paid out because he didn't just have public liability insurance. He had a very wonderful thing called all risks. All risks, insurance. yeah. And that's that a completely different out, beast. Pays out on anything, anytime, anywhere, which is mm. fantastic. So he got, they got a new house built. And it was, and nobody died. You know that was the thing because it collapsed at midnight. But the guys were saying, "Blimey, we were in there." Yeah, yeah. we would have been in there the next day. So they were lucky. Really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And now he probably faced a prosecution from the HSC just on the basis of of putting people at risk. I think. Yeah. yeah. We're becoming risk averse, aren't we, as a society? We don't want to take those risks. And I think certainly when you look at people on site what's the ultimate that can happen the ultimate bad thing that can happen Someone is somebody, gets killed. somebody dies on your site and i've been on a site where that's happened and it's no fun you know it's uh, you just got to remember there's too many variables to be sure about anything in life especially in building and construction and that sort of stuff too many variables the weather clients lack of materials lack of manpower it's just yeah endless anyway it's going to be disasters whether you like it or not so everyone listening out there let us know what your disasters are let's see if you can uh, come up with some corkers better stories some corkers yeah. yeah let's let's all let's all learn from each other's experiences and um, no offence to anyone who's been working on Crossrail, I do actually think it's going to be <laughs> fabulous. I go to London once or twice a year, and so that means that in probably, if you'll be finished in six years, about six trips time, I'll be able to take a ride on Crossrail. East-West. East-West? No, I'm not, going, I'm not going to East. You don't go North, you go North-South. I go to West End and it's stay there. It's designed to help us in Essex. It's yeah. Essex yeah. It's, to go that far? We've had a few comments, so if you've already commented and said about a few topics, they're on the list. Um, we kind of want to prioritise and sort of make sure that we go in the right direction. Um, but equally, if anything happens, a bit like Notre Dame, we could probably do something about that. I mean, this was going to cover a little bit of Notre Dame as well. We, um, you know, but disasters. How are we going to cover Notre Dame? Well, we talked about Notre Dame and the disaster of the oh, fire. Oh, sorry, I thought you were saying we we're going to go and fix it. I thought yeah. you were just lying. And Roger me was telling me he knew he knew who was behind it. Well, he said he had a hunch anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> oh, okay. That's good.